0: Well, hello! I'm Eliza Jones, and for as long as I can remember, people have been telling me that I should turn my wildly detailed dreams into short stories. Just for fun, I like to interpret my dreams, and some of the results are weirdly accurate, outrageous, or funny. With my tongue firmly in cheek, I'll share these dreams and interpretations with you, along with superstitions, astrology, and other paranormal things. Welcome to Wouldn't Dream of It. I call this week's dream another family on a ranch. My dream family was made up of a wife, a husband, a son, and a daughter. I sometimes saw the dream from the perspective of the wife, and other times from the perspective of the daughter. We were traveling in a camper van, and we had some kind of engine trouble. Stranded in the middle of nowhere USA, we needed a repair and a place to stay for the night. We had seen what I'll call a ranch about a mile back from where we had stopped. My husband and son walked toward the ranch while my daughter and I stayed with the van. It wasn't long until a tow truck showed up for the van, and my husband returned in a car with some rough-looking but polite men. Apparently, the owners of the ranch had offered us room and board while our van was being fixed. My husband had accepted this offer without consulting me. When we got back to the ranch, we found that there was this huge group that called themselves a family living together on this ranch. The patriarch of this family was very charismatic, but it didn't take us long to realize that he was certifiably insane. This patriarch had lots of prison-style tattoos, many of them murder or anarchy-themed. Most ominous was the one on his neck that read, erased, with tally marks below it. There were many other men who lived in the house or the surrounding outbuildings and followed this lunatic. There were dozens of children, although I don't remember there being any grown women besides myself. I have a sense that some of the kids might have been the children of older female children who had been impregnated by various men on the ranch. Some may have been victims of kidnapping by the family or children of women who had been murdered or managed to escape. I was very happy to only be spending one night there. My entire family was relieved when our engine repair was completed, and from the perspective of the daughter, I saw my daddy leave with another man to pick up our camper van. I stayed with my mommy to help get everything ready to leave. The super scary man came to our room to tell my mommy that he didn't want us to leave. He tried to kiss my mommy like daddy kisses her, so she smacked his face. I became very scared, so my perspective returned to that of my mother. After I slapped this crazed man with no boundaries, he said that because of my bad behavior, I would have to stay and be sexually tortured in order for the rest of the family to leave. I told him there was no way I was going to agree to that. We were all leaving together when my husband returned with the van. When my husband returned, I told him what had happened. We decided that this demand that I stay was just an arbitrary power move, so we decided to just leave without any announcement. As we drove the van along the ranch road toward the main road, the men of the ranch blocked our way with several pickup trucks. We tried backing up, but more trucks blocked the road behind us. Using a bullhorn, the maniac in charge shouted my name, reminding me that I would have to stay or risk the lives of my family. After shouting his ultimatum a few times, the psychopath shouted, Last chance! and began counting backward from ten. My husband and I whispered to each other that this was a stupid power trip and that when he reached one he wouldn't be able to enforce his ultimatum, and they would probably just let us go. Instead, he shouted, go, and all of the men blockading us began shooting with automatic weapons. My husband was killed almost immediately, and bullets were coming through all of our windows. I could hear the bullets hitting the sides of the vehicle, and I was terrified for my children. I ended up having to surrender to keep my children alive. There's a blank space here in my memory. I'm pretty sure I blanked on this part because my brain has a trauma room. It's sort of like a closet into which I stuff anything that's too much to deal with, like what was planned for me in the dream. I'll tell you more about this later in the episode. My kids and I had been at the ranch for a few weeks with me ever watchful for a chance to escape. Eventually, I saw a tiny opportunity to make a getaway, and I fled on foot with my two children and maybe one or two of the ranch family children as well. After escaping the ranch, we had to rely on the generosity of strangers. We slept in closets, under beds, and in other hidden places. We were very careful not to let the people who helped us know who we were or from where we had escaped. I wanted our hosts to have plausible deniability if the ranch family showed up asking about us. The ranch patriarch and his goons caught up with us at the home of a single woman, which was about our seventh stop since escaping. As the men surrounded her home, she led us to a cellar-like tunnel where we could emerge outside the blockade, access her car, and escape. I begged her to come with us, but she said that if they found the house empty, they would know that we were gone and would give chase sooner. Leaving her behind to face this family in order to protect the children traveling with me, I worried about the consequences to her. We never heard whether the single lady survived deceiving the ranch people. After running for a very long time, we somehow ended up right back at the ranch. Very soon after our return, the patriarch became quite ill with a very high fever that seemingly caused an amnesic state. During his lucid periods, he started making these electronic journal entries, confessing crazy things about himself and things he had done. He was so opposite his normal self that he seemed even more dangerous than before. Everyone was just waiting for him to return to normal or perhaps even be more treacherous. Some people in the family had changed some of his tattoos to say different things in case his madman's personality didn't return. I guess they thought that if he didn't remember who he was, maybe he would be sane. I don't know why these fools weren't just leaving the ranch while he wouldn't notice. Hopefully, I was smart enough to use this opportunity to escape again, but I'll never know because it was then that I woke up. (laughs) Normally when I do dream interpretations for you, I keep them in approximately the order of the events of the dream. This particular dream, however, has several elements that point to the same theme, and I want to group those together and interpret them as a whole, which means taking kind of a slapdash approach to the timeline. Starting off with a lighthearted interpretation seems like the best way to tackle this dream that was much more scary in the dreaming than it was in the retelling. I was happy to learn that the van in my dream predicts good news on its way. I won't turn down good news. I just hope I remember that my dream predicted it when I receive it. How fun would that be? My favorite insights from this dream had to do with sleeping in small spaces, including some closets. Finding oneself in an enclosure in a dream indicates that one will soon find the solution to a problem that seemed unsolvable. This is nice to know because I've been facing some feelings that have been difficult to harmonize and maybe I will be feeling balanced again soon. I thought it was pretty hilarious to find out that being locked in a closet in a dream means that I will have to reveal something about myself soon. I don't think any of us needed a dream interpretation resource to tell us that being locked in a closet means that we have a secret that we might have to reveal about ourselves. Hello, dream. Have we met? I'm a podcaster who tells all sorts of personal stuff about myself to people in at least five different countries on a regular basis. I'm not afraid of a little coming out of the closet. (laughs) A dream of trying to escape a cult may point to a need for questioning one's spiritual mindfulness. I'm not sure if the people in this ranch qualified as a cult, but they sure had problems with letting people leave. As for my spiritual mindfulness, I've been neglecting my general relaxation and mental health recently. I think this might be a sign that I need to make a small change. We'll talk about that more later. Taking note of others' tattoos and dreams may mean that strange relationships will make others jealous of me. Uh, what strange relationships? I love strange people. In fact, the weirder they are, the better. Who in the heck is jealous of that? There are plenty of strange relationships to go around. Instead of being jealous of mine, find some of your own. Go to the nearest bar. You'll find five in one night. (laughs) Trust me, I have experience in that area. (laughs) Okay. I didn't find any hints as to the meaning of people changing someone's tattoos in the hopes that after their severe illness, they wouldn't remember that they were a sociopath. That seems like a lot of work that could be replaced by just getting the hell away. Maybe I just wasn't privy to what was going on in the lives of these people who were changing the tattoos. Perhaps they were apprentice tattoo artists and using the crazed patriarch as their first test subject. A dream that includes illness, such as the one the patriarch had, can foretell trouble and sickness in real life. This has been a recurring theme in my last few dreams. Honestly, though, I did get extremely sick just last Friday, and I may have had this dream on that night or the night before. Could it be that easy? If so, I need to start doing my dream interpretations on the morning after the dreams instead of waiting until I'm preparing them for the podcast. That way I'll be prepared if I'm going to get sick again. We've now come to the part where I tell you about the theme that was woven throughout this dream and has actually been hinted at in some of the other recent dreams that I have shared with you. Signs of treachery are everywhere in this dream. Engine trouble warns the dreamer to watch out for treachery. Seeing a murder committed in a dream is a harbinger of sorrow caused by others' treacherous behavior. Dreaming of being a captive may mean that I have to deal with treachery, and Zolar says that to give myself up to captivity, which I did in this dream to save my children, means that I will face, quote, misfortune if treachery is not faced at the source, end quote. (laughs) That's a lot of treachery, especially when I'm not aware of anything of the sort happening around me. I'm an empath and a highly intuitive person, and I don't usually overlook things like treachery. I may ignore things, but I rarely overlook things. Last week, I spoke of learning who I am without carrying all the trauma around my neck like some gigantic name tag carved out of stone, and I think all of this treachery in my dreams points back to some things that I need to let go. Some actually were traumatic, and others were simply added to the pile of pain that I had stored in what I call my brain's trauma room. Let me tell you the history of the trauma room, and then we'll address the treachery. This is where I need to give you a trigger warning. Um, If you don't want to listen to a story of childhood sexual abuse, um, please skip forward by maybe four or five minutes. I experienced non-familial sexual abuse as a child. Now, I want to make sure that everyone who hears this understands that non-familial means this was someone whose orbit traveled around my family, but not someone in my family. The threat that the abuser made to keep me quiet was terrifying and still terrifies me to this day. I was so frightened by this threat that the memory of the abuse itself became repressed and the only sign I had of it. I'm sorry, it's hard to read this out loud. I didn't think it would be this hard. The only sign I had of being abused was recurrent nightmares of having the threat carried out on me. When I gave birth to my first child and the awesome responsibility of keeping that child safe from All of the horrible things that can happen in life settled upon me. I started having PTSD symptoms. Frightened that my child would be taken away from me if I showed any sign of mental illness, I hid these symptoms very carefully for years, including through the birth of my second child. (laughs) It wasn't until my oldest child was about five or six years old that I finally sought counseling for these symptoms, and I underwent an amazing technique called EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Through my EMDR sessions, I found that my repressed memories had created sort of a room in my brain, where I started storing and then forgetting Things that hurt or upset me. As I processed the most horrible of the traumas, other things came spilling out of me. Things that had been entirely repressed and that filled in many of the gaps in my childhood memories. Some of these memories, compared to the scary ones, were quite small. But they were still painful to deal with when they came out. The emptying of the trauma room felt exactly like what TVTropes.org calls an exploding closet, where, quote, a character opens up a surreptitiously bulging door to a storage area and is buried by an avalanche of junk, end quote. Occasionally, I have to open the trauma room again. It's not an exploding closet anymore, but there are dusty bits of things that have gone wrong in my life that I've let accumulate there. Interpreting my dreams and talking through them with you, my dear listeners, has helped me keep moving forward on clearing out these dusty bits. This week's dream made me realize that I have been in many life situations that seem to be trending toward lasting happiness, only to have them end through the actions of others. I've tossed these situations one by one into the trauma room, each one adding to a growing suspicion that those who love me will hurt me. I think all of the warnings of treachery in the dream were signs to remind me that I carry this suspicion around with me, and that suspicion can easily become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Innocent people who are suspected of bad things may eventually just do the bad things when presented with the temptation to do so. Granting people real trust means approaching them with a clean slate Or in my case, a trauma room empty of wariness created by past people and situations. That was very hard to read aloud, but hopefully that message will help some of you as well. I I think that in many cases, our past relationships color our current relationships. And oftentimes, our current relationships are nothing like the old ones. But the slightest sign of them being similar can really set us off. So hopefully I've helped someone today. <laughs> Moving along, this week's lucky numbers are brought to you by escaping. Because, you know, we had to do a lot of escaping in our dream this week. The lucky numbers are 5, 11, 14, 22, 24, 30. Again, the lucky numbers are 5, 11, 14, 22, 24, and 30. For our usual superstition corner or segment, I considered sharing some autumnal or other November-related superstitions, but then I realized that November is Native American Heritage Month. This made me want to learn about and share some information regarding some influential Native Americans. My research led me to the website of the Library of Congress, where I found an interview from November 1st, 2021, conducted by Carla Hayden, a Librarian of Congress, who sat down with two influential Native American women, both of whom were the first to represent Native Americans in their positions at the time. Joy Harjo, a member of the Muscogee Nation, was the 23rd U.S. Poet Laureate, a position appointed by the Librarian of Congress, and she served three terms in that position. Deb Holland, a member of the Laguna Pueblo, one of the first Native American women elected to Congress, was later appointed by President Biden as the Secretary of the Interior. She continues to serve as the Secretary of Interior at present and she is the first Native American cabinet secretary. The two women met when Joy was teaching at the University of New Mexico, and Deb was a senior in need of an elective class. Having signed up late for the class, Deb had to meet with Joy in her office to sort of plead her case to enter the class. Joy distinctly remembers that meeting because Deb came into the office with a motorcycle helmet, which was a sign of her commitment to burn as little fossil fuel as possible for transportation. The two hit it off and remain friends to this day. The summer after that fateful day in Joy's office, Joy and Deb, along with Joy's daughter and granddaughter, attended the first-ever Native American Writers' Conference, which was a historic gathering of Indigenous people from North America, Hawaii, and even some from South America. This event was inspiring to all and is still talked about among those who attended. Deb Holland, in particular, said she was very inspired by that entire weekend. Deb and Joy each brought one of the other's poems to read during the interview. Before reading Deb's poem called For Water, Joy described her belief that all of the world is a conversation, and poetry comes from listening to that conversation. Deb read a poem by Joy called My Man's Feet, which honored her husband's feet as the roots of their family. I cannot quote the poems here because the material is subject to copyright, but I urge you to visit the link that you can find in my show notes and listen to this interview yourself. It was beautiful to see through the eyes of these women by hearing their poems as read by one another. Deb credited Joy's work with making people feel seen and understood. Although poetry does not waste words, it is packed with meaning and speaks for the world around the poet. One of Joy's projects as Poet Laureate was the creation of a digital map that shows only water and earth, no state or country boundaries, where she said, quote, we can get in trouble, end quote, and the locations of many Native American poets are marked on this map. The map shows how all of these poets are connected with each other and with the water and earth. Her project could potentially be expanded over time, adding more poets and showing their connections to one another and to the water and earth. Deb encouraged a concept that she called Leaving the Ladder Down, allowing others to be inspired by your work and possibly begin making their own. These poets will eventually leave the ladder down for future poets as well. Joy hopes that her digital map project will help leave the ladder down and build connections between poets for generations to come. By the end of the interview, two themes had emerged that affected me deeply. First is the connection between all things, especially between water, nature, and humans. This connection is the source of poetry and other creativity. Second, The importance of preservation of our culture from one generation to the next, especially in the Native American community, is what connects us to our ancestors and our descendants. Before ending the show, I have a couple of housekeeping items to discuss with you. First is, if you hear any sort of quacking sort of sounds while i'm recording that's my grand conure cammy she has started joining me by sitting on my head while i record my podcast sessions um so if you hear a strange sound i didn't want it to be a great mystery of life that's my grand conure cammy um also earlier in the show i mentioned needing to make a change um To allow me to continue providing you with quality content while still staying connected with my social network and looking out for my mental health, I've decided to move Wouldn't Dream of It to an every other week schedule. I'm not going anywhere, and I hope all of you will still keep listening. The next episode after this one will drop on November 17th, and the two after that will drop on December 1st and December 14th. After that December 14th episode, I think I'll take a winter break and I will drop the next episode on January 5th. That'll be the first Friday of 2024. Can't even believe I'm saying 2024. I'll post these dates on my social media as well, and you're always welcome to reach out to me via email at it at gmail.com if you want reminders of the dates or if you want to give me input about the schedule change. Creating this content for you is a dream come true for me, so your support means more than you know. Please tell everyone who will listen to you about wouldn't Dream of It so that we can keep growing. Leaving five-star reviews on your favorite podcast platforms will help us reach more listeners who might enjoy or even benefit from the show. If you can spare a few bucks to help the show get even better, there's a donate button on my website at www.rss.com forward slash podcasts forward slash wooden hyphen dream hyphen of hyphen it. Every little bit helps. Wooden Dream of It is produced, written, and edited by me, Eliza Jones. Marketing assistance provided by Lapis Hale and Leah Wade. Original song, Dreams and Nightmares by Twisted. That's Twisted with a Y. Find them on Facebook as Twisted Twisted, both with a Y instead of an I. Connect with us on social media at Wouldn't Dream of It. That's usually wouldn't without the apostrophe. Email your dreams to me at wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com and your dreams could be featured on a future show. Be sure to check my show notes for a complete list of references used to create this podcast. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week.